0: This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions.
1: Get the money, get the money, get, get the
0: money. Hi, I'm Chris Judd, and this is Talk Your Book, and today we're joined by Rob. Uh, Tucker, sorry, Rob, from Chester Asset Management. Rob, first time on the show. Thanks very much for making the time. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, we'll get into Chester later on, but maybe dig in straight into the stock you want to speak about and uh, which stock did you want to discuss today?
1: Yeah, so we're going to talk about Sinlay Milk. So Sinlay is dual listed in New Zealand and in Australia. Most of the volume is actually traded in New Zealand. But Sinlay is best known for its relationship with A2 Milk, who are a 20% shareholder of Sinlay. And they have done all the manufacturing for A2's infant formula to be sold around Australia, New Zealand and into China with the Chinese label product. So they are a dairy producer, secure the milk, turn it into infant formula or a base powder um, and A2 is their major customer.
0: Is is there a view that some of the New Zealand based stocks sort of go under the radar a little bit and particularly in times of duress offer some some more value type propositions than their ASX
1: listed peers? I think that's true because this tends to be, from our perspective, a very well-run company. Uh, John Penno was the founder. He built the company to where it was. Uh, He became a non-executive chairman last year and he's just removed himself from the board now. But I think the company's really well set up for future growth and I'll explain why shortly. But um, this is a company that's trading below book value um, with really strong cash flow profile ahead of it.
0: And so talk to me, give us the helicopter view of Sinlay and and what they do.
1: So Sinle has been a frustrating investment for the last couple of years. And that's really because A2 effectively overproduced in the COVID period, um, up to 50,000 uh, 50, tonnes of infant formula. And then they realised China shut down. They didn't need to sell as much. So Sinlay as their uh, producer really effectively shut their factory for about six months. And so in 2021, they had a loss making year. And the challenge with Sinlay at that point was they spent $1.1 billion of capital providing two plants for these dairy uh, products. So they're left with too much debt. So that's 2021. We've just finished the 2022 year where they've released a lot of the inventory that they'd built up. Uh, so the operating cash flow last year was very strong. And so the debt has become more normal in terms of uh, net debt to EBITDA ratio. Still slightly high, but that will come down the next couple of years. Uh, so Sinlay has been challenged through the A2 relationship, and I think there's a level of caution at the moment with Sinlay because A2, uh, at 20% shareholder, but they also bought a facility uh, in the south island of New Zealand called Matura Valley. So A2 is looking to offset some of Sinlay's volume into their own facility in the south island of New Zealand. So that seems to be one of the bare thesis around Sinlay as a as an, uh, cash generating company. We'd make a couple of points around that. The first being that they have a five year contract with A2 to sell infant formula into Australia, New Zealand, and the Chinese label product into China. So uh, the other bare point with Sinlay at the moment uh, is that the Chinese Food and Drug Administration, the SAMR, are reissuing their licence to sell Chinese label um, infant formula into China. So that is an area of uh, perceived risk. But we'd note that so far SAMR has issued 22 foreign companies with their new licence um, to keep selling Chinese label infant formula into China. So we think there's actually quite a low risk of that license not being reissued next year, but still it's a perceived overhang. So that's a couple of risks around A2 potentially moving their volume, and the, the re-registration of their license to sell uh, infant formula into China.
0: And how significant was A2's move recently into the US market?
1: I think it's good from a sentiments perspective. Um, the reality is it's not going to impact this year's numbers particularly, and we're still yet to see. Exactly how much formula they will sell into the US market. So I'd say it's a great for sentiment, but we're not necessarily sure what that means for earnings just yet.
0: And how do you look at the relationship where A2 is shareholding in Sinlay and then their major customer? Does that give you comfort that you know, they're not going to reduce the equity value of, of that shareholding by doing something that would uh, devalue Sinlay's business? Or how yeah. do you sort of view that, that relationship?
1: Well, it's, it's an interesting one. So I'll get to it. So um, we've become quite positive on Sinlay because A2 is about to be heavily diversified as their major customer. So 18 months ago, Sinlay announced Customer S. Now, that it's a major global FMCG customer that they have yet to name for privacy reasons. The customer doesn't want to be named, but we'll find out in the next three or four months as physical product starts leaving the Sinlay warehouse in New Zealand. But Sinlay have repeatedly said that Customer S will be their biggest customer in two to three years time. And so this is not necessarily an infant formula, powdered just yet. It's a plant-based food supplement from soybean extraction. Okay. So they're diversifying uh, quite aggressively their reliance on A2 as their major customer. And this new customer, again, it was signed 18 months ago. They've spent probably 85 to 90 million dollars refitting their factory in Pocono to accommodate this new customer. And the cash flow will start being generated in the first quarter next year but ramping up through 2023 with a full run rate in 2024. So that's what gives us the confidence that Sinlay has actually got a really strong growth trajectory over the next three years.
0: And were those inventory level issues, do you think that was just a one-off given A2's experience throughout COVID, or do you think there's, is that something you'll look to in the future to make sure it's operating as, as well as you hope?
1: Yeah, well, there's a sort of data points you can, uh, touch on when you're looking at sort of the uh, inventory pull through in terms of A2's market share in China and what's going on in Mall or Taobao, some of those Chinese um, uh, retail outlets and the port at Littleton in terms of the data, the infant formula leaving the port. So there's, there's some signposts you can look at to see, monitor how the inventories are, are tracking. But I think, uh, so A2 was producing 50,000 tonnes, now it's going down to... Uh, 34, 35, which we think will be stable at Sinlay, because any future A2 growth probably goes through their Matura Valley uh, property in the South Island, but if Sinlay kept on producing that amount of infant formula for A2, we think that creates a really strong base for the growth with custom S, we're going to call it, uh, in the next three years.
0: And so maybe give us a, a bit of a, an overview of the numbers. You mentioned they're trading below book value, mm. but what's the sort of free cash flow numbers and, and what could you see for top-line growth given the, the acquisition of a, a new major customer coming
1: on board next year? Yeah, so we, we're sort of quite confident given there's a lot of, has been a lot of pessimism around Sinlay and, and around the financial leverage uh, largely, but Sinlay is very confident with the new customer, they'll generate a return on invested capital above 15% in 2025. So the invested capital is $1.1 billion. So really this is a story of actually having a really blue chip asset base, two of them, DunSandal and Pocono, that will generate, a, accept a return with A2 as a customer and customer S as a growing customer. So we think that's, that equates to about $165 million in EBIT in three years' time. And the market is quite cynical on that achieving the objective. So the market's about $130 million. So we still think if they can demonstrate to the market the new customer is being rolled out as they think, there's probably upside to earnings over the next three years as that uh, the cash flows come. So that's an EBIT number, but simplistic, I'll give you an EBITDA number. Last year, the uh, adjusted EBITDA was 117 million, 2022. The new customer starts in 23, but fully is operational in 2024. So we think the $117 becomes $180 million in EBITDA in FY24. Given they've spent the capital, they don't need to spend any more growth capital, it's just going to be maintenance capital. So that'll be $25 to $30 million a year. And notional amount of tax, because they had a loss-making year, which is probably uh, $20 to $25 million in tax. So we can see a really strong scenario where the uh, free cash flow after tax is between $100 and $120 million and we're buying this as a 600 dollars 650 million dollar company. So the free cash flow yield, we could say, is quite comfortably above 15% in 2024. Um, so again, we think often on an asymmetric basis, in terms of the risk reward profile, we thought the risk was minimised, even though they had had too much debt on the balance sheet. But with the customer S ramping up, uh, we see really strong cash flow growth and therefore that will be able to de-gear the the uh, the balance sheet really quickly in the next couple of years. And
0: what's their debt levels gotten down to now?
1: So it's about 2.5 times net debt to EBITDA, and they think they can target around 2 to 2.3 in FY23, but that on our numbers would be well and truly below two times net debt to EBITDA in 2024 when they start paying dividends. So if you use the numbers I just gave you, 100 120 million dollars in free cash flow after tax, we think they should be able to afford a dividend of 40 to $50 million uh, back to shareholders, which again, the market cap today, I think, is about $750 million. Uh, so it suggests the yield could be well above 6%. is there any bolt
0: on acquisitions in cheese or other sort of products that you could see happening? Or you think with, with where their balance sheet's at, they've, they've sort of got to get better? Uh, they've
1: done a few of those in the past with mixed success, to be honest. So I think as far as we can see, it's really paying down debt proven that Custom S is gonna be their, ultimately their biggest customer in two years time. Um, and we know what well, we speculate, it's an American FMCG customer that may have far broader use of the Sinlay facility, and not just this soybean uh, protein-based food supplement. They may in fact need some infant formula space as well.
0: They had issues with infant formula in the US earlier this year, mm. didn't they? But this sounds like it's not related to that. It's a different uh,
1: product line. We are uh, interested to watch how Sinlay unfolds this new customer we believe there is an aspect to providing broader product lines than just the uh, soybean food supplement um, we think there is an, there's a very strong chance there's an the infant formula range to come as well
0: yeah okay that's very good and we are always open to um, to humble brags here at Christian Invest I understand Chester Asset Management won a, uh, an award during the week can you walk us through what maybe give us an overview of, of trust asset management and how you guys look to invest as well.
1: Yeah, so uh, we were fortunate enough to win the Money Magazine Best Australian Share Fund for 2023. Uh, I guess we were obviously thrilled with the recognition. Um, but it was based on three and five year numbers, but risk adjusted numbers, so risk adjusted returns. So we've been very um, focused on protecting capital in down markets. So that's sort of uh, something we've been able to do successfully the last three years. Um, so we are an Australian equity fund it's 35 stocks to 40 but normally about 35 and it's a broad cap mandate so we hold CSL uh, in the large caps down to a couple of micro caps that we think can you know, double over the next three years um, so it is on average a mid cap strategy um, and so we separate the universe into three pretty distinct buckets most of it is predictable cash generators CSL or the infrastructure names or consumer staples. We're very happy to hold some cyclicals, but it's normally 15 to 25% of the fund. And while we think a little bit differently than most investors, we've always had an allocation to gold. Because I think gold can give you a non-correlated exposure when markets get inherently volatile. I'm not trying to predict the gold price or the direction but I think normally gold equities act in a non-correlated manner, which is the reason for it's a little bit of a hedged position effectively. And hopefully we can pick the right gold stocks to give you that alpha um, when the rest of the market's a bit tricky.
0: Beautiful. We'll look forward to following you. look forward to following along with, uh, with Sinlay. Hopefully uh, in an era where value stocks and hard asset stocks seem to be uh, in vogue, it like um, looks like a great pick.
1: Thanks, Chris. We'll see how it goes. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. This
0: episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.